<laughs> and we're laughing in its first issue club. We're back for another week to talk about what happens every single week on Wednesdays. Number one comic books are coming out from all of our favorite comic book publishers. We're learning the origins of the stories that are so deep and passionate within our hearts. We're going to talk about all of them. Greg, what books are we going to cover this week? This episode, we're covering Sword Daughter, The Immortal Hulk, and Justice League. Mm, mm, mm. That's a tasty trifecta of comics. There's a ton of books uh, that we didn't get to this week, one of which Ant-Man we really loved. So it was an ode to Ant-Man in introducing us all. I'll just like to ask you guys, if you were small, what would you do? Uh, this is Greg Lickty, and I would live in a shoe. Just Go on. <laughs> that's really it. I mean, there's not much to explain. I would live in a shoe. Mm-hmm. Like a dirty one or a new one? No. Well, whatever, really. A shoe or a boot, just because uh, I used to read fairy tales all the time. Old Mother Hubbard. Yeah. Nope, that's, she lived. Lived in a shoe. She did? The sec- that's the second part of that st- sentence. <laughs> I thought Old Mother Hubbard lived went to the cupboard. Cu- cabinet? That's Indian in the cupboard. No, well, now we're getting them mixed up. <laughs> anyway, I would live in a shoe. As Budget King, I'd buy Legos and have them be life-size Legos. Because if you bought Star Wars Legos now... So and, bricks. And they were the size of you, they'd be so expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you're tiny, then you're getting a deal. <laughs> you think they would upcharge you if you were tiny? <laughs> I think that's, uh, like, against the rules. <laughs> totally against the rules. Would your credit card be like bigger than you, or would you have like money that you would have to yeah. carry around? I'd have in my some sort I'd of... have my normal size wife buy them. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, that's what you would want. I'd want a big size wife and a meepy tiny. <laughs> oh yeah, really? Really, Ooh. really walk around, <laughs> Go explore that. Are you having sex in this relationship? <laughs> Trying to. <laughs> oh boy, I'm Mike DeStacy. <laughs> Safe. <us>. If, <laughs> if I was. I will say, I'll come to the rescue. Thank you. Uh, And then ruin it with this. (laughs) If I was small, I'd be a tampon for Halloween. Oh, Oh my my God. Oh, okay. For Halloween. So not like... No, I wouldn't really be a tampon. But that wasn't your new job. No, I think it'd be fun to just... It's a living. You could just cut a face hole and make some room in the middle there. Oh, you would actually wear a tampon. I would wear a tampon. I'd be like, little Mike the tampon. <laughs> you could be a tampon now for Halloween. Yeah. Halloween. I could. think I've actually heard you say you wanted to be a tampon for Halloween before. Is that right? <laughs> I've just been in, always been a dream of mine. Not even being small. To yeah. Just being a tampon. Aid women. <laughs> uh, my name is Caitlin Brosick, and I would find... Those dollhouses, I would try to procure me a nice, sweet setup, live as normally. Best answer. <laughs> in a very dull way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably the realest answer. Super weird, <laughs> shitty answers. You had a really good I one. I would, like, try to have a borrower situation going on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get this podcast started. <laughs> <laughs> First up, we're covering Sword Daughter from Dark Horse Comics. It's from Brian Wood and Mac Shatter. With I want to mention this with colors by Jose Villarubia. Uh, the colors in this I thought were mwah, 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 that's amore. Very really amore. Beautiful, minimal, subtle book. Not only in artistic style, but I think in the way that the story is told. This was very sparse. Um, maybe even a little hard to follow, kind of left a lot of blanks. But I love how atmospheric this book was. We've got this 
town of villagers kind of in like Viking era. They are destroyed by parading group of bandits called 40 Swords. Who wear hockey masks. Who wear hockey masks. They're kind of creepy looking, aren't mm-hmm. they? They don't look like they're yeah. from like 1000 BC. <laughs> no. But cool. Yeah. They look like Vega from Street Fighter. <laughs> they <do> look <laughs> like Vega. Uh, <laughs> so, Slash spirited away. Like if you Jason. just put those two things together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No face. What happens is they kill off this town. There's a father and daughter that are left alive. The father is like comatose for like 10 years. And I think this story picks up after this 10-year span, and he's, like, awoken from this kind of coma he's been in. And his daughter's been raised by some neighboring villagers. She's never got a formal education. I don't think she can quite talk. We're getting a narrative throughout the book in her voice, though. Um, So I'm not quite sure what's going on there. But this appears to be a story of revenge, of father and daughter being reunited but not knowing each other really. Which I love this character, the girl, Elspeth. Yeah. I really do. She's speaking through these this imagery, these pictures of like a wave or so a big the, X yeah, or one, something. One of the most definitive things about this book is that the main character, who I believe is Sword Daughter, speaks in bubbles with pictures. Yeah, like emojis. And people yes. understand her, but we do not get any... Words or... Right. Like, she might be making some guttural sounds, I'm assuming, that, yeah. like, people understand yeah. that, that she's talking about the ocean or... It's one of the, like, freshest things I've seen in comic books in a long time. Like, critiquing the form. I almost wondered if she was, like, could could speak but wasn't allowed to. I honestly wonder if she is saying words and they're choosing to write them as emojis. I thought that that's what was happening. Because the narrative that you get from her is well thought out. They all respond to her. She is very wise, too, with what she's taking in and synthesizing. And write. Right. They point out in the book that she spends her days copying biblical texts. In a nunnery? In a nunnery. Yeah. And, like, she messes up on purpose to get extra pieces of paper. Yeah, Mm. yeah. So she's doing something with them. This whole book makes sense. It feels like it was all pieced together very deliberately, like the art, how clean it is. Totally. And... The setting. It's brutal, but it's clean. Like, the landscape is even yep. the way it's portrayed. This is... I'm glad I'm glad you said that and had that opinion on it. I feel like in talking about this book, it's easy to imagine that some people probably read this and were like, I don't know what's going on. The book didn't do a whole lot or really tell a logical story from beginning to ending. I think it's intriguing. I'm a Brian Wood fan. He's written a couple books that... Um, from D- uh, DMZ Rebels, what's the other one? Oh, Briggs- Starve Briggsland, Briggsland. Oh wow, yeah. That book, I don't think a lot of people really liked. At least people that I know that you know pick up a lot of first issues to give mm-hmm. them a shot. Like didn't stick with that book. And man, did did that book get good? But all I guess all I'm saying is that I trust him enough. I also think own this first issue because I can see this taking off. Yeah. Mm, yeah. If not in TV form, like just in the comic itself, just being like kind of revered. People just liking it, yeah. Yeah. That was Sword Daughter. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to scare some people. (laughs) That's not going to make it. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Sorry, I was doing my best Kanye impression. (laughs) Scoopity poop. 
Next, we have The Immortal Hulk out on Marvel. Words and art by Ewing, Bennett, and Jose and Mounts. While largely narrated through the conversation between a detective and a reporter, <laughs> that's like where you get most of your information, mm-hmm. which I kind of loved right off the bat. I was like, okay, these two would watch on their own USA show, but also they're kind of giving me the whole setup of this <laughs> thing. Yeah, um, It's kind of like a really scary look at what happens when the Hulk kind of brains up and starts passing down judgment on all us other monsters in the world. <laughs> like, it it was so good, but I wanted to ask, is the Hulk sometimes this smart and lucid in other storylines, or is this a departure? Because this seemed to be more of a horror-style thing where so he's very, very conscious and he's speaking very eloquently. yes. There are certainly comings and goings of all different types of Hulk. And I feel like everyone who does a Hulk story arc does their own thing with him. Recently, he's been a much more lucid character Mm -hmm. um, up until his, I guess, death. He kind of disappeared for a little bit, being like just Bruce Banner, being ashamed of the Hulk. So that's one thing that you get in the story, too. Yeah. I mean, you can probably tell from one of the covers that has a Here Lies Bruce Banner headstone, but... This in this story, he starts out where the world believes him to be dead. So this was there was a huge like Marvel event that led up to this that Al Ewing wrote, which brought the Hulk back. So he's had a lot of thought going into this, but I think there's a beautiful kind of symbolism in this book with like his human side, like literally dying. We get I think with the title of this book, even the Immortal Hulk. That whatever happens to Bruce Banner, even if he loses his mind, even if he's dead and gone, uh, that the Hulk will always remain. Yeah. As this, like, dominant personality that is, like, unhinged in all these, like, raw emotions. Which, so, is, which is new for the Hulk, right? New for the Hulk to be completely unchecked, I think, by yes. Bruce Banner. He just, they outpower, they're like Dragon Ball Z him to the nth degree of Super Saiyan. Mm-hmm. And so to now do this Jekyll and Hyde horror story is a take that I think really gives it some longevity. Oh, for sure. And that really is the theme, not only for him, but, like, for the people he's going after. I think we're seeing, like, some of Bruce being, like, maybe I'll just, like, let the Hulk take over (laughs) and, like, be, like, let that be me and all my, like, rawest, worst feelings come Mm -hmm. out. There's a scene at the end where he's coming to terms with that and looking in the mirror and he's like, am I a bad person? (laughs) It's a little bit like Dexter. Kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, gonna, a, that's a fair comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, we kind of got the same almost shot for shot in the Venom comic we got two weeks ago. The interesting there, the thing there, though, is Venom is a villain. Well, this Hulk, Hulk isn't is much better. Yeah, but yeah. now, it, so whereas there, the crossover is that they're going to make, they're going to question and make Venom a hero. Mm-hmm. Here, so here. here, they're going to question and make you think, is he a villain? Yeah. How about the first uh, four pages of this book? Where this, uh, some people die. There were so many stretches of it where I was just like, I love this. This is so not a, a gas m- yeah, it, Marvel popular superhero comic. It, this right. felt like an indie. This felt like an image book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a great point. So there's, like in comic books, this is a thing that happens a lot where you get to the middle, like, gatefold mm-hmm. of the book. And it does this huge double page singular thing that's a nice big statement visual yeah. for what the book is. And this book, you you get it, you're like, whoa, that's awesome. And then you turn the page, 
there's a and second one. Yeah, it almost never and happens. Closer. And it's like close up on the Hulk's face. Did that like catch you guys? I really liked it, and I thought your word choice was great because uh, I think every editor and creator at Marvel needs to decide how big the fucking Hulk is <laughs> <laughs> because uh-huh. he is ginormous in this book. Yeah. He's, like, clearly over 15 feet tall. However, his head is not as big as it has been in other parts, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a little tiny. Bruce Banner must have, those, like, a raging headache whenever he just, like, stops being the Hulk because his body just goes through this transformation that is... Why doesn't... Why don't his shorts rip off? I always, always wonder this. And, like, how is it just at the knees that it's frayed? Like, when I, when you're going to tell me the waist when I lift, just When I lift patio furniture, my jean shorts almost pop off. <laughs> <laughs> We can handle no shorts Hulk, I think. I want to see some of that Hulk dick. <laughs> I absolutely do. We got I the butt been Hulk in dick Ragnarok. For <laughs> <laughs> You're just painted green. Like, what are you? I'm Hulk I'm dick. Hulk's dick. Yeah. <laughs> You've never seen me. I've been trapped in tiny uh, shorts my entire life. You could have been Gumby. You could have been anyone. Nope. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just, Hulk's just, Hulk's just picturing the penis itself just like bursting out of his shorts just being like does <laughs> 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 an entirely different type of smell uh, but yeah oh cha also can he really smell fear that is this a thing okay so uh, before or do you think it was a metaphor I didn't know. I was just like, that's oh, not no, I had real. No, pro- I had a problem with this, too. And when they start hearing, like, the thunderous booming outside of this, like, compound where all these bad guys are, and you're like, oh, shit, Hulk's here. Things are going to go down. In my head, I was just like, how did the Hulk find these guys? That was, like, the first thing that occurred to me. And he was like, you want to know how I found you? And I was like, yes, he's going to explain it. It's not just going to be one of those dumb comic book things where you just, like, don't get a reason. And, and then he's here. like, I smell your fear. <laughs> At least we got a reason. That's, I guess. Yeah. I think, again, the theme of making this a monster, making him like a monster, kind like of a fits that. predatory animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Al Ewing, you killed it. This was yep. my favorite book this week. Very, very, very good. Onward to Justice League from Snyder, Chiung, Morales, and Mori. So DC's Justice League, we have this comet or some kind of monumentous event headed towards the planet Earth. First off, you see the Justice League interacting as the Justice League with their comm system replaced by the Martian Manhunter. Basically, John Johns. John Johns. John Johns. John Johns, the Martian Manhunter, who is tapped in... To the brain of every Justice League character. Party line. <laughs> cool, I like putting I don't that know way. if I would be comfortable with that. I think it's rad. I, I was like thinking, it. I got partway through this page spread where they're like introducing that con- concept, and I'm like, I would just immediately think like, fuck shit, fuck, fuck. <laughs> or just like something really like... Having sex with a nun. Yeah, like, <laughs> if I knew someone was like in my yeah. head, I would, yeah. my brain would go to the worst place possible. Yep. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. help it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you but see, instead, they're all just doing their Batman impersonations. That was cute, yeah, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah, <laughs> that was really, really good. Doing the dark Batman voice. <laughs> and so uh, the Justice League is, are fighting these, like, Neanderthals who are, like, designated for different types of... Terrain. Terrain. Equator, underwater, Arctic. rainforest, Arctic. And they're just fighting these 
uh, really uh, intelligent cavemen, and they somehow the cavemen somehow get the Earth's crust and the, all the continents to pull away from the Earth, and they start going off into space. And then Martian Manhunter has to figure out how to take care of that, and he turns into a dragon and destroys the moon. So badass. <laughs> He turns into a dragon, and he destroys the moon. And this happens in, like, four pages. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they give him his due. They say, you, you boy, you you are the Justice League leader. You are our chairman. You're the man. Yeah. (laughs) Take a bow. (laughs) I know that sounds like a lot to unpack for, like, four pages, and this is normally the thing that I say I hate about Justice League books is that they try to do too much too quick. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, the way this was written, I was just like, all of this is badass. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I really liked it. If this would have ended after, like, six or seven pages, I would have been like, yes, nailed it. Oh, but you don't think it nailed it. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we'll go. Okay. <laughs> so after Martian Manhunter blows up the moon, we find out that Vandal Savage was in charge of creating these like intelligent Neanderthals. He took them underground. Vandal Savage is a time traveler, for those of you that don't know. So he's been kind of the... Isn't he immortal, too? Um. Well, we're going to find out because... Um, that might have been just from Legends of... While Vandal Savage is trying to uh, regroup the Neanderthals, uh, Lex Luthor shows up and promptly beats him to death with a rock. It had to have been a certain thing, because he said, this is the one thing that will kill you. That's true. Um, We don't know what that is, but the... It looked like a rock, though. (laughs) It did look like a a rock. It has that glow... There's a glowing symbol on it that keeps making an appearance. It's the Legion of Doom symbol. So I get... And that's the... um, what was the Hall of Justice? Oh, it's oh, it also does look just like the Hall of Justice, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of put that together. <laughs> so that's either. what this comic is about: is just like the the gang's all here. The two teams Whoa. are reformed: Legion of Doom and the Justice League. Back to basics. Okay, so bad what is, guys, what is the guys. Legion of Doom? Legion of Doom is Lex Luthor getting all the bad guys together from every comic book, DC comic book, from you know Green Lanterns villains, Flash villains. Wonder Batman's Woman. villains, Wonder Woman's villains, all together just like, hey, you know what? If we work together, we might actually beat these guys instead of just continuing to lose. And Legion of Doom thinks they're doing good, right? I don't really know. Well, it seems like in this book, at least, Lex Luthor thinks he is. Because yeah. he says, like, I am a hero or yeah. something. I kind of jumped ahead a little bit there. But the middle of the book was actually about the Justice League realizing that they were three minutes away from this asteroid <sighs> or... Event totality. that was the to- the totality. And God, did they take forever to figure out what to do. Right? Yeah, that was going to hit Earth. I like and... how John Johns is like, and eh, we got a minute. Like, <laughs> yeah. he's, their, he's their hourglass. Like, it's it's not, it's very quick what's <laughs> happening. I mean, they really chewed on this <laughs> for a little bit uh, as far as world-ending events. But they couldn't really decide if it was a good thing or a bad thing. And at the end of the issue, they're just like, fuck it. <laughs> and, and it hits Earth. Go with it, yeah. Um, Snide the Wild Ride, as he's often called, uh, Scott Snyder. <laughs> By you. <laughs> <laughs> also did American Vampire and Witches, probably one of the best horror comic book writers. Mm-hmm. And I think writing this is definitely going to bring a dark side to the Justice League, which I liked a lot. The intro sequence, now that uh, Caitlin pointed this out, that um, Vandal Savage is an immortal. And the intro sequence is showing this, like, energy force that's, like, colliding towards Earth as being more of an ever-present thing. Like, it was 100,000 years in the future, 100,000 years in the past. 
Um, so he's predictably like known the time when it's going to hit Earth mm-hmm. because of maybe some other time traveling experience that he's had. Right. And uh, is at this flashpoint mm-hmm. where he's going to inherit the power from it or take advantage of it or whatever. Right, right. And I think maybe that's what it was trying to get set up. I get mm-hmm. that. Uh, curiously, though, Booster Gold, not in here. Also another famous time traveler. Yeah. Who would have seen something like this happen. But sure. not in the Justice League. N- not really part of anything. Yeah, so yeah. But it's just like, you think you would come yeah. back and be like, hey... I time travel. Yeah. (laughs) You might want to save that moon. Oh, and can you, the bullshit reasons they have for like, like after the moon's exploded, they're just like, oh, it's okay. Swamp Thing is uh, doing this to make sure that the tides happen. It's just like, fuck you. Yeah. That's stupid. We need the moon. Yeah. (laughs) You can't just get rid of the moon like that, John. I have a hard time with DC stuff. And I mentioned a little bit earlier that like this kind of fell off for me after the first like, seven or eight pages, I felt like it just got convoluted and confusing, and I just don't know the DC universe so, so well Yeah, for me to, like, make the connections between all the little things that were happening. It got muddy for me. I, I enjoyed the point of it a lot better after you walked through it, Greg. Oh, thank you. But, I also think it was really about, no, I mean, not only are you supposed to be seeing these two teams form, but, like, the leadership of those two teams solidifying with Lex Luthor killing Savage, and then John John's going through his whole he's like self-conscious about what he can do like he doesn't think he should be their chairman right he keeps torturing himself about what happened to his family and his fear of never being disconnected from anyone again is causing him to then start lying to himself about what this totality actually is which I thought was interesting is we read so many Marvel first issues this week and I think uh, Budget King mentioned this a little bit earlier before we recorded um, that there was a bit of a war between DC and Marvel this week with uh, who can release the best uh, lot of things. DC, big Justice League book, Marvel, like six first issues. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> <laughs> to just like inundate the shop with like what you're going to spend your money on, I guess, <laughs> just to get people to buy less of this maybe. Who knows? Um, but in reading all of those books, the two DC books, read very inaccessible to me, whereas all the Marvel first issues were s- such an easy, casual pick-up-and-read, mm-hmm. which I think is probably something that DC fans don't like about Marvel, and Marvel fans have a hard time with Yeah, with DC. I think DC's got such a huge fan base um, that they don't have to worry about making things really accessible, which is just, like, sucks for me. Like, I'm used to reading comics. I like reading comics. I'm interested in what's going on with these characters. Mm -hmm. But uh, you open these and just, like, my brain just starts tuning Mm -hmm. out, like, halfway through them because they're introducing, like, 40 characters every issue and have super complex, dark situations. And, like, again, like, the end of the world is at stake. Uh, It's just so tedious. Mm -hmm. But to know that, they put in little notes for you to go back and read a book that came out Oh, God. The, yeah, you're going to go back and read a book that's, like, more confusing. Yeah. At least when Marvel does it, they, like, do it in a way when they're, like, kind of making fun of themselves. It's almost cheeky, yeah. like, yeah. oh, we want you to buy this too, mm-hmm. buddy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to DC's credit, though, both Deadpool and Ant-Man and Wasp referenced that they're, like, from the movies, kind yep. of. 
And so, like, I feel like Marvel is kind of intentionally just being like, we're a moneymaker, and yep. we're, like, more tied in with the movies now. Um, and whereas, like, DC is, like, absolutely no interest. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't It's because their movies suck. Right. <laughs> I didn't see Justice League, but I assume that Justice League has no part in this comic book whatsoever. Nope. I wonder if the DC movies were immensely, immensely popular, if it would change the landscape of the comic books quite a bit. So... I'd say yes. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even DC obviously has no qualms about just like we're going to print another five Batman books that yeah. parallel the main Batman book. They probably just print more of them because people are going to buy it. I guess like it's refreshing that DC kind of like reboots things and it's like, hey, we're going to tell a story that's like new. Don't mm-hmm. worry about the other repercussions. Like enjoy it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Marvel has a kind of a confusing time doing that. Where yep. They try to like make it an ongoing story still, but they're like everyone's brain's been washed. They did it with uh, Deadpool, which yeah. like, haha, Deadpool, it's easy to like throw away that his memory's been erased and now he's back to basics. Yeah. But for some of the more serious characters like Daredevil and he's erased like everyone's memory of him on Earth so that this new story can start, like, what the fuck? Explain yeah. that to me. That's not a thing that happens. Yeah. And it's frustrating to be a fan of something for a really long time. And they're trying to get to like take the parts of the story that they like and then get rid of the parts that don't work for their new arc. Yeah. Like it's cheap storytelling. It would, it would I would appreciate it if they'd say, you know what? I'm a new writer. I want to do something new with this character. And you, you could just fucking trust them to do it. And if it fails, yeah. go back to the other thing. Yeah. yeah. And DC, I think DC does a much better job of. For sure. Given you what it is. Uh, and it was good. Uh, pick of the weeks. Mine was the Immortal Hulk. I'll say just for diverse reasons, I, I'll do Sword, Sword Daughter. Daughter. Easy for me, Immortal Hulk. Oh, I you, c- have, you have them all lined up. I, like I, could, I could rank them all real quick for you. <laughs> yeah, let me, I'll defer mine and you could just rank them real quick. All right, from best to worst. Immortal Hulk. Sword Daughter. Doctor Strange. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Justice League, Deadpool, Dazzler, The Unexpected. The Unexpected was a DC book that I thought was going to be really awesome. Seven pages in, I was like, I'm not reading this. It was, that the, was that the New Age of Heroes book? Yes. We have fallen off of that We did. Hard. Yeah. Whoops. Whoopsies. <laughs> it seems like they're not going to last, though. You know what I mean? I was super intrigued. Like, this book sets up, like, a really interesting character, and I was super intrigued by it, and then they throw in, like, four more characters with no explanation, and I was like, I can't read this. That's it, man. What a week full of comics. (laughs) Nailed it. Again. Uh, I just want to say you're welcome. Uh, You can say your thanks uh, to us by giving us reviews. We appreciate that. Five stars, baby. Five. Oh, five stars. (laughs) We are recorded at KCUR Studios in Kansas City, Missouri. We are edited and produced by Matthew Hodap. We are playing music between our segments created by Primary Colors Music. And we are a proud member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts, baby. Let's get Go around the horn (laughs) and get these goodbyes started. (laughs) I'm Caitlin Morosik, and I will show myself out. This is Greg Lichtai signing off. This is Budget King, and 
Walla Walla see ya. This is Mike D. Put it up your butt. <laughs> you know, it's not him, it's you. It's all about butt stuff. <laughs> Bye.